Hello, Gateway. Good to be together again, even though it's only virtually rather than in reality. Hope you've had a good week and uh, managed to make the most of things despite the, all the issues and problems that are confronting at this, us at this time. Uh, today we're going to pick up our series in 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 at the end of the letter, finishing off Peter's first letter. This is a passage that we would have been in anyway, if it even hadn't been for coronavirus. We've been planning to speak from this passage on this Sunday. But it is again so amazingly relevant to where we find ourselves today, uh, what we're confronting and how we're having to deal with life. And this is a chapter of Peter's letter which really focuses on the family dynamic of church. We are family. If you're part of the church, you are part of the family. One of the really interesting things that's been happening over the last few days is a renewed focus upon families, a renewed focus upon households. Everything is reduced to the household. Uh, for some people that means you're on your own. It's a one-person household. For other, others of us, we're living in, in families. But it's, life is happening now in the household. And Peter, in his letter, talks about us understanding the church as a household, a group of people who come together, actually form a living house, living stones, being built into the temple of God. And as we get to the end of this letter, we really want us to think about what it means to say we are family as people who are members of the household of God. And uh, I want to start by thinking about what you should expect from your elders at this time, what you should expect of the elders of Gateway Church at this time, because that's the thing uh, where we first land in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me read the first four verses. Peter writes this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, I've been an elder for 20 years now. I've actually been an elder ever since I was younger, not so young as I once was. But this passage has always been one which I found very sobering as an elder and also incredibly encouraging. It's actually a, a kind of a job description for elders. And one of the things we really need to see as we start to think about what Peter is saying here to the elders of the churches is that when the Bible talks about elders, it's not really talking about leaders in the way that we would often think in our society. We can easily fall into that way of thinking because we're used to talk about leadership. And at this time, we're particularly focusing on what leaders are doing, political leaders and medical leaders and others who are leading in particular fields at this time. And we're fo focusing upon leadership and there's a, a big focus on leadership generally in our culture. And of course, elders do lead. We're called to lead in the church. But that's not the leadership of management, it's not the leadership of a politician, it's not the leadership of a CEO. The kind of leadership which the Bible thinks about, describes when talking about elders is the leadership of a father. The elders are to be fathers in the church. And that's, that's very different. So we can't just say that elder equals leader, leader equals elder. No, that's not right. Uh, all kinds of people 
lead in all kinds of different ways in life and in church life, but the elders have a particular responsibility to be fathers in the congregation. And I want to talk a little bit about that and what you should expect from us at this time and what Peter expects from elders at all times. At this time, everything is being recalibrated. Things are being stripped back. And uh, that includes what elders do. My friend Andrew Wilson posted about this the other day. He summarized it rather neatly like this. This is what elders are to do. Find out how people are doing, care for them, connect people together, pray for them, rinse, wash, repeat. That's a great little summary of what elders are to do. I'm going to expand that slightly by talking about how elders are to be praying for the congregation, pastoring the congregation, and protecting the congregation. It's those three things which I uh, want to draw out of this passage and which I feel that you should be expecting of us at this time. So first of all, praying for the congregation. Now, elders should always be prayerful, should always labour in prayer for the flock. It's one of the things that we are called to do. The reality is that in normal times, it's very easy to get busy doing stuff. And uh, to be honest, there can also be a, a bit of a pressure at times, a bit of a temptation, a bit of a man-pleasing temptation at times to kind of feel that we almost have to justify our position as elders by looking busy. Now, at this time, we're experiencing a helpful recalibration that uh, we can't look busy like we normally would because life is so different we're not doing the normal things we do we're not running the normal programs that we normally do not running the normal meetings and services that we no normally do not seeing people in the way that we normally would so this is a time of helpful recalibration like you we the elders of gateway church are stuck at home as well uh, and uh, there's not much that we can do about that our diaries have been cleared of meetings and events my diary which was looking very full, very busy with all kinds of meetings, all kinds of events, all kinds of travel. Just, it's all gone, it's all cleared out. None of that is happening because like you, I am stuck at home. Now at this time, you can expect us to be praying for you. This is what we're always meant to do, but at this time of stripping back and recalibration, it's really focusing for us what are the priorities and a priority for the elders here at Gateway is to be praying for you, praying for the flock that God has entrusted to our care. We want to do that by praying for specific needs, and we're aware of some needs. Uh, we're talking to lots of people and finding out what needs are, and we want to pray for specific needs. If there are things that you specifically would like us to pray for, please do make us aware of that. Contact one of us personally or email into the office, however you can, to get in touch. We'd love to pray for you if you have a specific need. But even, I think, perhaps more important than that at the moment is that the elder team here are praying for you that we as a church would remain faithful, would remain faithful to Jesus, his calling upon us, and all that means for us. Peter says here that the elders are to watch over the flock that God has put under their care. We're to as elders, watch over, take care of, watch over the flock. And uh, part of that watching over you is to pray for you, pray for God's protection over you, pray that you don't give in to fear, pray that we would be faithful witnesses, to pray that uh, we would be people who are faithful to God, his calling in our lives, 
and the mission that he's given us, even though that looks a bit different at the moment from, now, from how it normally does. So I want you to know that we, the elders of Gateway Church, we're praying for you. The second thing, second P, these are three Ps. Good to have three Ps in a talk. The second P is pastoring. Peter says to the elders, be shepherds, be shepherds of the flock. It's a pastoral image, an image of shepherds and sheep. And by definition, shepherds are amongst the sheep. A shepherd doesn't do uh, his shepherding at a distance normally. He doesn't sit behind a computer and uh, deal with the sheep that way. No, a shepherd has to be amongst the sheep, and that's how eldering is meant to be. And normally that's how a lot of the time it is. At the moment, we can't physically be together. Uh, I can't physically be with you. None of us can physically meet up together. And uh, that means that we are using all the means available to us to try and stay in touch and to shepherd you. That means that we are doing more behind screens and laptops and all the rest than we normally would want to do. We're trying to put as much out as we can, helpfully. Not overwhelming you, but putting a little bit out every day, uh, doing this on Sundays, online resources to help keep us together, Hey, help us to stay in the Word, help us to stay in contact with, with each other, making phone calls, speaking to people. Uh, feel free to call us too. Uh, hopefully at some point you will be called by one of us, but uh, feel free to call one of us if you want to chat or want to talk anything over. We would be very, very happy for you to do that. Now, we do want to do all we can at the moment to care for you. And that is hard as we can't be physically amongst you. We're working hard on our systems. We're trying to put things in place as, as best we can to continue to pastor, continue to care for people, even as we can't physically be together. And we want to help you and we want to encourage you. That's such a huge part of, of pastoring that we would be able to encourage you and to help you. A very practical way that we do that at Gateway is through our life groups. And uh, if you're not part of a life group, you really need to get connected to one. Life groups are still meeting together, uh, albeit virtually meeting online. And uh, life groups are such an important part of the pastoral care system of the church, part of the way that we elders can pastor the flock, shepherd the flock, is by being in touch with the life group leaders who are themselves in touch with, with you. So if you're not in a life group, please contact us and we'll make that happen for you. The third thing after praying and pastoring is protecting. Now, biblically, the biblical picture of shepherds is a bit different from what we might have in our minds when we think about an image of a shepherd. But the biblical picture of a shepherd is certainly not someone who is warm and fluffy. That's not the biblical picture of a shepherd. The picture we get of shepherds in Scripture is shepherds for people who are ready for a fight, ready to fight off thieves who wanted to come and steal, sheep ready to fight off false shepherds, uh, people who would actually be in shepherding for their own advantage rather than out of genuine concern for the sheep, and ready to sh uh, fight off uh, wolves and bears and lions. Biblical shepherds are uh, pretty rough and ready, ready for a fight. Now we want to fight for you at this time. We want to fight for your protection. We do that in prayer again. Uh, praying is the key way really in which we fight for God's protection over you. We also seek to do it in our leading of you and our counsel to you. We want to fight at this time for your hearts to be protected. This is a time when our hearts can uh, really start to flutter. It's a time to be uh, when we feel anxious. It's a time when many are feeling confused. It's a time when 
It's uh, <coughs> easy to become irritable. Stress levels and blood pressure levels are rising and uh, our hearts can uh, suffer the, the damage, not just our physical hearts, but of course our spiritual and emotional hearts as well. So we want to fight for your protection. We want to fight for you to know the peace of God. And that really begins and ends in the place of prayer. We also want to fight for your protection in terms of protecting you from false teaching. The reality is that at the moment, especially, there is an awful lot of stuff out there being generated on the web. It's all over the place, which just isn't helpful. There's some really unhelpful, uh, erroneous and false teaching which is being promoted, which uh, claims to represent the truth of God, but really doesn't, is a long way from it. And uh, we want to protect you from that. Now, I know a lot of that stuff actually comes with the best of intentions. It's people who are essentially good-hearted people and uh, are wanting to be encouraging, or want to bring prophecies or whatever that they think are going to be helpful. But we just need to be really wise and, and, and discerning and sift what is good and, and what doesn't line up with the word as it should. And part of the way the elders protect the flock is to, is to try and make you aware of those things. So uh, we want to protect you in that. That means we're going to keep pointing you to the word of God. We're going to keep pointing you to resources that we can have confidence in that will help you rather than trip you up spiritually. And we're going to keep doing our best to keep teaching you uh, as I'm doing now. So we're going to pray for you, pass you, and protect you as best we can at this time. That's what you can expect from the elders. The second thing is what we should expect from one another at this time. Let's read the next couple of verses from verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders... All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, so what should we expect of one another at this time? Well, it is a time for humility. This is a time when the pride of man is being very much exposed. We thought we were so competent and in control and could plan the path of our lives and suddenly we've found that we can't. So this is a time when we are really being reminded of our need to be humble rather than arrogant. And we should see here how Peter links pride and anxiety. He, he warns against pride and then, then he says immediately cast your anxieties on God. And uh, what we see, what Peter is hinting here is that prideful self-reliance will feed a sense of anxiety. If you're just looking to depend upon yourself and we come to a time like this, we find that our own resources are actually pretty limited. So prideful self-reliance will actually lead to us feeling more anxious. Peter says that what we need to do is to cast our anxieties, cast our burdens on God. Because why? He cares for us. That's such an encouraging promise of Scripture. Now, what that means is that we should expect a godly humility in one another. And it means that we should together humbly come before God. We can't do that physically, but spiritually we're connected. We've often spoken about this, how we're one body 
And now I've often said it that even if we're not physically in the room together, we're still organically connected through Christ. It's a kind of a, uh, something I, I often mention, especially when we're coming to take communion. So we're not physically together, but we are organically connected through Christ. We're spiritually present together in some way. And so we need to humbly come together before God. That means that as the elders are praying, actually all of us need to pray. Again, I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet done it, to sign into the prayer chain. We um, got it arranged in half-hour blocks throughout the day. It's not legalistic. If you start your half-hour a little bit late, if you finish it a bit early, if the time shifts and you end up doing it at a slightly different time, nobody's checking, nobody minds. It's just a great way of encouraging each other that we are praying, and then we've got a sheet where people are writing down things they feel that God is speaking to them and leading us in, and that's encouraging and helpful. So let's help one another cast our anxieties on God. It's easy at this time to speak to one another and to ramp up the anxieties and fears that we have. Rather than doing that, let's help each other to cast our anxieties on him. Let's, let's remind one another that God cares for us. We come before him humbly and we can help each other as we come before God to cast off those cares, cast off those burdens, and put our trust in God. That's what we should expect of one another. The third thing is what we should expect of ourselves at this time. Let's pick it up at verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Yes, amen. What a great scripture what we should expect of ourselves at this time. Well, something we should expect, something Peter warns us about, is that we are likely to experience temptations. And these will be personal to you. But some of them are kind of obvious. Uh, at a time when we are isolated in our homes, perhaps on our own, the kind of things we can be tempted by are those which are commonly tempting. We might be tempted to comfort eating in a way which actually is unhealthy for us. We might be tempted to comfort drinking in a way which is definitely unhelpful for us. Might be tempted to look at porn, might be tempted just in terms of general internet addiction, just permanently fixed on the screen, permanently checking WhatsApp and Facebook. I know myself this is a danger at this time, wanting to stay in touch and uh, having to be disciplined about having times of the day when I just shut it all down and walk away. It might be that a temptation for us is just a spirit of complaint, that uh, because of all that's happening, we just become more and more moany and complaining. These temptations are typical and obvious. Might not be yours, they might be something else, might be the area that you face temptation in. Now, Peter says that we are to be sober and alert, sober and alert. Uh, he says that we have an enemy who wants to devour us. It's very graphic language. There's an enemy prowling around who wants to eat you, wants to destroy you, who wants to devour you. And Peter says that we are to stand firm 
in the faith. Rather than letting yourself get chomped up by the enemy, stand firm in the faith. And it's fascinating how Peter says that part of the way in which we're going to stand firm is by thinking of the family. Look what he says. Uh, Resist him, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Think about your family, says Peter. Remember who you are. Remember who it is you belong to. Remember the responsibilities that you have. Remember that you're not alone. Remember that other people are experiencing this as well. If you're part of the church, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a member of the family. That means you have family commitments, family responsibilities. Think about the family. When temptation comes, think about the family. How should you act? If your family was in the room with you, how would you act? Think about the family. Stand firm. And Peter says as well, to help us when we face temptation, God is at work in you and that you have been called to eternal glory. God's at work in you and you've been called to eternal glory. So we need to think and act and live in a way that honours that. We need to stand firm. What should we expect of ourselves at this time? We should expect ourselves to stand firm in the truth of who God is, knowing that he is at work in us, that we're members of a family, that we have an enemy who wants to pick us off, but we're able to resist him. And when we do, in the name of Jesus, he will flee. Expect that of yourself. And the fourth thing is what we should expect of God's word at this time. What should we expect of God's word? Let's read the, verse, the last verses of this letter. Verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As he comes to the end of this letter, Peter states the reason why he's written it. He says that he's written it to encourage them and to testify to them about the truth. Now, as we come to the Word of God, we should expect the Word to encourage us. As we read the Word, as we study it, as we hear it taught, we should expect the Word of God to encourage us, to build us up. And the Word testifies to what is true. We need to get hold of what is true. What is true? What's really going on? The Word of God helps us to see and understand truth. God is true, and God speaks to us about himself through his Word, through the Scriptures. So we need to get into the Word. We need to get into the Word. At all times we need to get into the Word, but especially at this time we need to be in the Word. And so again, I'd encourage you to do some practical things. If you're uh, not part of a CBR group, a community Bible reading group, speak to us and we can get you into one of those groups. Or, or listen to the, the podcast, which we are now putting out a couple of times a week, which uh, we're talking about a number of things, particularly things related to uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health, but also looking at uh, some of the CBR readings from the week. 
even if you're not in a group, you can still listen to those podcasts and it's just uh, a way in which we unpick some of the things which may be particularly challenging in our readings that week and try and uh, explain them a little bit. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Word. If you also look on our website and the resources page there. Again, we've got things for you to listen to. We've got links to uh, sermons which we could uh, commend and, and things to read which will strengthen you in the words of God. And then even as he closes this letter, Peter reminds us about how this is a family business. We are family. There's uh, Silas who's been there helping Peter as he's written the letter. And then there's Mark who Peter describes as a spiritual son. Mark's there with him too. And then he says that the church in Babylon sends greetings. And when Peter says the church in Babylon, we think actually he's, he's using Babylon as, as, a, as a euphemism for Rome. We think Peter was in Rome when he wrote this and he's talking about Rome being like Babylon, representing that, that hostile power against God. Uh, the church, the people of God, are the Jerusalem of God, and Babylon represents what is opposed to God. And as an exile himself, Peter is in Rome, in Babylon, writing to these churches in Turkey, and also writing to us. And so the word reminds us about the scale and scope of our family. Who's in our family? Well, Peter is, and so is Silas, and so is Mark, and so is the church in Rome, and so is the church wherever it is found, wherever she is around the world. Our family is there, and wherever in history the people of God has been, there is our family. We're part of something. We're part of a a great family. We're part of the greatest family on earth, the people of God. We're not on our own. We're connected with the saints of God throughout the world now and throughout the ages and for all time. Hallelujah. So let's remember the scale and scope of the family to which God has joined us. And then Peter reminds us about how things should be, just normal church life, family life. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, we can't do that literally at the moment. It's not much of a kiss. We can't greet one another literally at the moment with a kiss of love because we're physically not meant to be touching. I think there's something in this, though, to, again, help us at this time, that we must be careful that we don't fall into online habits which become permanently ingrained habits. When we're past this virus thing and able to be back in the room together, a day I'm sure we're all looking forward to, we need to learn again what it is to greet one another with a kiss of love. It's going to be good to shake some hands. It's good It's going to be good to slap some backs. It's going to be good to give some hugs. It's going to be good to give some kisses. We need to anticipate that moment where we can physically engage again. Part of my concern at this time is that we'd all become so used to not having physical contact and actually fearful of physical contact that we kind of forget how to do it. When we're back together again, family of God, we need to learn again how to show each other physical affection in a way which is godly and uh, which honours him and uh, represents the fact that we are family together. And finally, Peter ends with a blessing of peace. That's his last words of this letter. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Actually, that's pretty much where he began this letter. Back in verse 2 of chapter 1, Peter says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then the last words of the letter, peace 
to all of you who are in Christ. Now we can expect the Word of God to help us find peace. What can we expect from the Word of God? We expect the Word of God to encourage us. We expect the Word of God to testify to us about what is true. And we expect the Word of God to help us find peace. These are anxious times. People are troubled. What we need to know, what the world needs to know through us is peace. How are we going to know peace? We're going to know peace by getting into the Word of God and knowing the Spirit of God, illuminating God's words and bringing us into a sense, a real sense, a real experience of God's peace for us. It's a promise, it's a prayer that Peter makes over these people. Grace to you, grace to you, peace to you, peace to you. We need to pray that for ourselves and step into an experience of it. You know, I've so enjoyed our journey through First Peter these last few weeks, and I'm so grateful that the Lord led us here at this time, that when we planned months ago, whenever it was, that beginning of 2020 we'd be looking at First Peter, we didn't know what was going to happen, but God did, and I'm so grateful that he led us to teach through this book. When we started this series a few weeks back, we had no idea just how relevant it would be. And this theme of do not fear, be faithful, faithful exiles, faithful witnesses, it's just so relevant for where we find ourselves at this time. I think back to the very first message that I preached from the beginning of the letter, and uh, the title of that message was Who's Afeared? The, the motto of Dorset, Who's Afeared? But very much a sentiment that which Peter uh, reiterates again and again through this letter. Who's afeard? If you're a follower of Christ, don't give in to fear. Why not? Because he who is on our side is bigger than any other power, opposition, government, virus. Uh, God is bigger. He's in control. If you see him in his magnificence, it puts everything else into its perspective. Who's afeard? So at this time, Gateway Church, my family, Let's not give in to fear. Let's be faithful in our witness. Let's remember we, we really are family. And may the peace of God be your experience. Amen.